Thank you, Ken, and uh, worship team for our time of worship this morning in song. Um, and good morning, church family. Glad each one of you are here this morning, and as we are coming to the close of the book of Ephesians, I'm glad to, to be able to share with you the, the Word of God this morning as we take a look at the second part of a, uh, the spiritual resources for living victoriously in the physical realm, uh, which we need to see as well as apply to our lives today. So before we do turn our hearts towards the Word of God this morning, um, what uh, he has for us, let's go ahead and bow once more. Gracious Father, Lord, we thank you for uh, our time this morning already uh, as we consider uh, what child is this, uh, that you would send your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he would take on flesh and dwell among us so that we could see in uh, perfect form uh, you, the absolute truth of all, that you are creator, uh, that you, through your son, are savior, uh, and Father, that uh, there is a day coming of judgment where you will, uh, according to your law, uh, judge each and every person, past, present, and future. Uh, and Father, we thank you for the righteousness that we have in Jesus Christ when we repent of our sins and trust in him as Savior. Uh, and as we think about uh, just the, the joy that that brings, the peace that that brings, uh, the love that is felt uh, as a result of uh, putting our faith and trust in your son. Uh, Father, we thank you for that this morning. Uh, Father, we acknowledge too as we consider being believers uh, in this world today that we are on a spiritual battlefield, uh, not for our souls, but for um, our worship, for our uh, commitment uh, to you each and every day. So Father, may we understand and see the importance of the whole armor of God, uh, the importance of us standing not in our own strength, but standing on the promises as we sung, uh, standing on your word, standing in the power and the might of your strength, because that's the only way we can survive, the only way we can be victorious uh, as we uh, participate in this spiritual battle. Father, we thank you for all these things and pray them in Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't already, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 6. This is the second to last sermon in Ephesians. Um, and it, it wraps up this final section as we consider the armor of God. Um, as we took a look last time, uh, we saw uh, the fact that we have a, an enemy uh, that is seeking to work us woe, as the hymn writer said. Um, as one who wants us to worship ourselves or to worship him uh, and not worship God, the one who created us, the one who loved us through uh, the Son, uh, who uh, regenerated us through the Holy Spirit so that we could be sons and daughters of God. Uh, and so as we, we take a look at this uh, text um, the call as Paul is wrapping together everything that we've learned in the book of Ephesians as we saw that salvation uh, belongs to God, uh, that it is God who saves. We do not save ourselves. Uh, and every person on this planet needs a Savior, past, present, and future. Um, because apart from Jesus Christ, uh, we deserve the wages of our sin, which is death, not only 
uh, spiritual but physical. Uh, we deserve God's judgment, God's punishment uh, upon us because we are the ones who broke God's law. We are the ones who stand guilty before God. Uh, and as uh, those who have been redeemed, we see the importance of finally being strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Not just doing it because we can in and of ourselves uh, to do it in the flesh as opposed to the spirit, uh, but to know where we stand because we are on a spiritual battlefield, a, a battle that is raging, whether that is right where you're standing or all around you at any given time. The scripture, as we took a look at last time, um, came out and talked about us putting on not just one aspect of the armor of God as we take a look at the different components today, but the whole armor of God. There is no time where it is acceptable as a believer in Jesus Christ to not have the whole armor of God on. It is a state in which we should constantly be because we are constantly in a spiritual battle, whether we are being attacked directly or indirectly as our brothers and sisters find themselves under attack. Uh, we are the body of Christ. Uh, we are the bride of Christ. Uh, and therefore, we are uh, under attack because our enemy uh, does not love God and does not desire for us to show our love toward God. And you'll notice from last time that as we took a look at our enemy, that he is quite capable, that he has been doing this for a long time, that he is a schemer, that he is wily in the ways in which he tempts us, that he is not sovereign over all. He has already been defeated because Jesus Christ won the victory. So today we're going to take a look here as we consider taking up the whole armor of God and knowing where we stand uh, as we consider stand uh, uh, against, stand firm, stand, therefore stand. Uh, we need to know where we are in this battle and therefore uh, also know that we have the right equipment to fight in this battle. So let me say this as I begin, this is not dress up time. You know, as I watched my kids grow up, one of their favorite things to do was to dress up and act like they were someone else. Whether that was, you know, a particular maybe a video game they were playing or whether or not it was someone that they looked up to. Um, they loved dressing up and, and, and play acting as if they were those individuals. Um, that is not what we find ourselves in. This is not play acting. This is not play time. This is not, let's try on the armor of God and see how I look in the mirror. Um, this is real, uh, and we should not turn a blind eye toward it, toward it, nor should we toy with it, because the outcome is detrimental. Not a loss of salvation, because Christ paid the price, but it is a loss of fellowship, a loss of communion with God when we choose to not stand in his strength or not put on the whole armor of God. So with that said, there are basically uh, two sets of three as we take a look at this armor. And as you look at the text, which Barry read earlier in this service, um, you'll notice that it says, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness uh, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. 
Those are the first three pieces of the armor of God, and each one of them begins with the word having. So that means that it is a state uh, we should always be in. There should not be any instance, any time in your Christian uh, life where you are not wearing these pieces of armor, where you are not actively participating in these pieces of armor being on you. It's a state you should always be in. Uh, and as we take a look at the armor of God as well, uh, and we see these, these two different separate categories, there is never an acceptable time to not have the entirety of the armor of God on. You do not pick and choose what you will wear in the battle. God has given you a total armor to guard you against anything and everything that this world and Satan and his minions may throw at you at any given time. Uh, and we'll see that as each one of these pieces of armor is identified and we see its importance, um, God did not leave any aspect unguarded. It's only unguarded if we choose not to wear the armor. So we have the belt of truth there in verse 14, having fastened on the belt of truth. This is what keeps us grounded. This is what keeps us honest. Uh, because as we speak to the truth, we're talking about the very word of God. We are talking about God himself, who is truth, who is the one who has absolute truth. And yes, absolute truth does exist. Truth is not subjective to the individual. That is your opinion. Truth comes from God. And it is not by accident that the very first thing that we see in this uh, armor is the belt of truth. Uh, growing up, you know, under the King James Bible, it talked about girding your loins. So in other words, preparing yourself, you know, with the clothing that should clothe every aspect of who you are. You know, you're not at leisure where if you were in the first century, your tunic would have gone down to your, your ankles. You take that tunic and you bind it all up with the belt of truth to hold it up so that you can be ready for battle to prepare you, yourself for what is going to happen. Not a question if, when. See, this keeps us grounded and honest because Satan lies to us. The scriptures say he is the father of lies. He does not tell the truth. He tells the opposite of the truth. He takes the truth and he twists it for his own advantage to confuse and to frustrate and to cause us to take our attention off of God and put it on ourselves or upon him. In John 1.17, it says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Does that mean that truth did not exist before Jesus Christ came? No. But what we have here is the very truth himself, Jesus Christ, the very truth, God himself, taking on flesh, being the full embodiment of the truth itself so that we can see the lies of Satan. See, in order to fight a liar, you need to know the truth. Otherwise, you will believe the lie. See, that's why subjective truth, and I'll put truth in quotes, is so convenient because it can change. And really, it's, it's, it is a foolhardy argument because Saying that truth is subjective makes it not truth to begin with. It's foolish thinking. 
But see, the absolute truth of God himself was embodied in human form for us to see, for us to receive, and for us to follow. So we don't have to make it up. We don't have to wonder if we can know with surety the truth in relation to who God is, who we are, things past, present, and things yet to come. See, truth is God's view on everything. Let me say that again. Truth is God's view on everything and is the absolute standard by which everything else is measured. See, if truth is subjective to you, then you're just measuring yourself in, in relation to something that is fluid and it is an accountability just to yourself. The whole idea of there being absolute truth outside of yourself that is objective is the whole, you know, uh, beautiful thing that we can take a look at the truth and know that, you know, it's not going to change because it's perfect. It's pure. It does not need to be altered. See, in order to engage a liar, you need to know the truth. There's no other way. Otherwise, you will believe the lie and, and not know the truth. Because a lie can be very convincing. A lie can be seen as the truth if you don't know the truth. The truth must be secured to our existence so that there is no direction we can turn that God will not directly and completely show us what to think, what to say, what to do. And the thing is, we can trust God because God is good, because God is holy, and the truth is the truth. You don't need to add to it. You don't take away from it. It's perfect. It's absolute. Psalm 12.6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Seven being the perfect number. So in other words, God's truth is pure. It has been re it's refined as if you had the, the most pure metal you could possibly find. God's truth is pure. And so it will reveal the lie. It won't be confused. It can be suppressed, but it will not be changed by public opinion or the culture that surrounds it. So this is a state we should always be in as we begin with the belt of truth, what keeps us grounded and honest because Satan lies to us. Second is the breastplate of righteousness. This is what keeps us pure. You know, this is uh, important because Satan tempts us to indulge in impure things. He makes them appealing to the eyes and, you know, uh, something that just fills our ears with what we want to hear and therefore, you know, informing a course of action that is contrary to who God is. You know, you can have the truth and not have the truth have its good effect because you're choosing to look at something else other than the truth itself. You're not applying the truth in a way that is right so that the, the truth can have its good effect. 
which is something that God will do in relation to all of mankind on the day of judgment because his truth will reign out over all. See, Satan likes to put forth before us things that would cause us to think unrighteous thoughts or to participate in in unrighteous activities, to give him a foothold, as we talked about earlier in Ephesians. And the thing is, is that this is not a righteousness is pertaining to our salvation or being made right before God uh, for our, our sins. This is our, our righteousness that we need to have is, is guarding the core of who we are so that we can walk with God and talk with God along life's narrow way. To not be pulled one way or another or to find that we are you know, harmed because we don't have that righteousness guarding our, our, our thoughts and intentions of our hearts. This is a practical righteousness like we read back in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, where it says to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We put on Christ because otherwise we're, 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 not, we're putting on something else. And the thing is, is that if we, we don't utilize and have this be part of who we are, actively each and every day, then that's where Satan is going to target. He will tempt you to think impure thoughts about, you know, uh, the opposite sex. He'll think you to, you know, cause you to think uh, about doing impure actions towards somebody else or to say impure things towards somebody else, things that are selfish in nature. I like what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said in relation to Um, the breastplate of righteousness. He says, thank God for experiences, but do not rely on them. You do not put on the breastplate of experiences. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. See, the thing is, is we can operate from the realm of experience and thinking that I've been there, done that, I know how to respond to this and have that whole scenario not be informed by God's truth and, and been done in an unrighteous way. doesn't negate the fact that it's experience. But the thing is, is that we're in a battle where we need God's view on everything. We need his righteousness to look through. And so that's why we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness to guard us, not the breastplate of our experience or our emotions, but instead have it be informed by the truth. Third, he gives us the shoes of peace. Verse 15, and as the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. This piece of armor is what keeps us calm. You know, I don't know if anyone here has been on a battlefield before, but you've no doubt seen movies where there's battles being fought You don't typically see someone who's just calm in a battle. Most of the time, they're pretty excited about what's going on around them or fearful of what's going on around them or anxious about what is going on around them. But see, they're not just sitting there, you know, with a sense of of calmness in a battle. How, How is that even possible? That doesn't seem like, you know, how can you have peace or calmness in in a battle scene? Well, see, the thing is, the shoes of peace afford us that. 
because the battle has already been won. I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to, you know, believe Satan when he tempts me to be anxious about the battle I find myself facing. Well, you know, if I share the gospel with this individual, what are the rest of my coworkers going to think about me? Are they going to think I'm one of those Jesus freaks, a, a, you know, a Bible pounder? Are they going to marginalize me? You know, if I don't embrace the woke, woke culture, which I find myself in, and stand on the, the righteousness uh, and, and in the truth, you know, how is that going to affect me? How can I be calm in all of this, Pastor Bill? It's, it's impossible. You don't know what I'm going through. I don't need to know what you're going through. What I trust in is the armor that God has given me, and I trust in the God who has given me the place to stand. That makes the difference. Knowing in whom you have believed, as Paul says. See, the gospel is a message of peace to those who believe. It's sure footing. I don't doubt my salvation because my salvation is not based in my good works. It's not based in who I am. My salvation is based in who God is and what Christ accomplished on Calvary. And therefore, I can stand at peace in a spirit of calmness, even though there is a spiritual battle raging all around me. The shoes of peace, as we think about the gospel, you know, understand what it says in Romans 5, verse 1, where it says, Therefore, since we've been justified or declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, I'm no longer God's enemy anymore. I'm not one of the people on the other side in this spiritual battle. I'm standing in the one who has already won the victory for me, who paid my debt. So there's nothing to be fearful for. There's nothing to be, you know, at war with. I'm at peace because I stand in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 52, 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. See, the reason I can stand in peace on a battlefield and be calm is because God reigns over all. He is sovereign over all. He answers to no one. The battle does not change God. God helps me to stand where I need to stand and to take the armor that can protect me against every anxious thought that can come my way. 2 Thessalonians 1.16 says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Did you hear that? May the Lord of peace May Jesus Christ himself give you peace at all times in every way. So there's not a scenario in which you should be on the spiritual battlefield and be anxious and fearful. Because your trust and your faith, your righteousness and the truth all belong to God. He is the one in whom you stand. He is the church's one foundation, Jesus Christ, her Lord as the song we sing.
So this should be a state we should always be in, having put on the belt of truth, which keeps us grounded and honest against Satan's lies, the breastplate of righteousness, which keeps us pure against Satan's temptations to indulge in impure things, uh, and the shoes of peace, which keep us calm despite Satan's attempts to cause us to be anxious in this spiritual battle. Those are the first three, and again, they are a state we should always be in. Now, the next three all begin with this take up. So in other words, use as on an as-needed basis, but that doesn't mean that these three pieces of armor are in your spiritual closet somewhere and you just pull them out when you need them. Can you take up the whole armor of God? So all six of these pieces of armor are something you wear all the time. You're in the truth, you're in righteousness, and you're at peace. But you also have pieces of your armor that you need to take up based off of how Satan may tempt you or come at you with whatever battle tactic he's going to use as the schemer and the wily one he is. So take a look uh, at verse 16. It says there, in all circumstances. So does all mean all? Yes. All circumstances take up the shield of faith with, it, which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. This is what keeps us confident. Not cocky, confident. We're confident in what uh, God can do in relation to our faith. As we exercise faith in him and as he you know, you know, bolsters that faith, as we surrender our control and our desires and say, God, what is your will for me in? And whatever that ends up being, tailoring it for you individually, it causes you to be able to stay confident when Satan tempts you to doubt. Did God really say, you know what, you... What you said to your spouse, you're not worthy. There's no way God's going to accept you. You've done such heinous things, there's no way God can forgive you. Yes, Satan uses battle tactics just like that. Because if he can render you ineffective on the spiritual battlefield and cause you to not have faith in the armor of God and to have faith in where you stand, then he's won that battle against you. That's why it's so important for us to stand, 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 stand. It says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. I love what Tony Evans said in relation to biblical faith. I'm not going to say it as quickly and as you know, uh, well as he does, um, because if I did, you would be like me, and you know, as I listened to it multiple times over, had to slow it down so I could actually write it so that I could read it to you. But he says, biblical faith is acting like it is so, even when it's not so, in order that it might be so, simply because God said so. And you're going, what? All right, let me read it a little bit slower for you because this is what I had to do. 
So this is biblical faith, is acting like it is so, even when it is not so, in order that it might be so, simply because God said so. So I trust God, even when things don't look the way that they should look. That even when Satan tempts me to doubt and say that this isn't what you think it is, God's saying, no, it's exactly what this is. And I can trust in that. I can exercise faith in that because I know God's never going to lie to me. God is never going to mislead me. He is only going to guide me in the truth, which is for my good. And the thing is, is he loves me enough to give me an armor to protect me against that very thing. Because he doesn't want you to doubt. The truth chases away all doubt. The question is, do you exercise faith in it? Psalm 18, verse 30 says, This God, his way is perfect. Not almost perfect. Not subject to change. This God, his way is perfect. That's why I can trust him. That's why I can exercise faith in him. That's why, as I have the shield of faith, I don't need to doubt. Goes on to say, the word of the Lord proves true because it is the truth. The truth sets us free to exercise faith even more and not doubt. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Well, why do we need a shield? Why do we need a refuge? Does Satan really tempt us to doubt that much? Well, the text goes on to say, with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. So it's a reality. The flaming darts are coming. Right now, they might be in the air over you waiting to land. And notice they're flaming darts. What's the purpose of a flaming dart? Does a flaming dart cause, you know, more injury or more sudden death? No, flaming darts were, were shot in a barrage so that there was so much, you know, you know, as far as artillery coming and where it would land and things that were combustible, all that fire that surrounds you takes your, your focus off of the actual battle. Because you're trying to put out the fire over here and the fire over here. And, I, I, you know, Pastor Bill, I'm being stretched over here and, and I've got to deal with this over here. See, it's a dividing, you know, uh, what's the right word? Tactic. Thank you. I knew exactly what I was trying to say. I was getting the word to escape me. That's how he works. He causes division. He causes, you know, us to take our focus off of God causing doubt. Because think about it, if you're surrounded by a whole bunch of, of, you know, fires everywhere around you on this spiritual battlefield, you feel like you're all alone. You feel like you're, you're, you're cut off from anyone that could potentially help because you're surrounded by all this fire. But see, it's a shield. And that shield extinguishes all flaming arrows of doubt, confusion, lies, etc., because that shield is meant to safeguard you. But see, you need to keep your focus and your faith on God and not on everything else that's going around you. 
2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. So we need to trust God to know that he's never going to lie to us like our enemy does, that he will lead us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake instead of lies. God will never put you in a situation to cause you anxiety or fear because that's not who God is. That's against his character. So some days you're going to be facing those times of doubt. Is God really going to fulfill that promise to me so that I can stand on the promises of Christ my Lord? See, what you're questioning is something you should never question because God keeps his word. Because it's, remember, pure, it's perfect, it proves true. Fifth, the helmet of salvation. This keeps us Christ-minded. You know, one of the ways in which Satan, you know, tempts believers and, you know, even unbelievers is to think wrongly. I mean, how many people have you, you talked to and try and have an intelligent, you know, common sense discussion with that are, are just thinking foolish things? I mean, if you, you watch some of the things that, you know, even, you know, what they're, they're teaching in colleges and schools and just filling their minds with junk and not the truth. And that junk is what's informing what they think and what they say and what they do. Well, see, one of Satan's tactics is, is he wants you to think wrongly, wrongly about God, wrongly about yourself, and wrongly about what God expects from you. Because if he can cause doubt in that faith area and cause you to think differently about God, then he's achieved his goal. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You'll notice as you take a look at this armor and as you look at the entirety of the scripture, all of these pieces of armor work together as a whole. Because it talks about the peace of God which passes all understanding. The verse right prior to that is, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication make your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding. Or God your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, the armor works together. Because God, you know, didn't just throw together an armor willy-nilly. There's design there. Just like there's design in everything that God does. Order in everything that God does. The salvation here, as it talks about the helmet of salvation, is, is not speaking about forgiveness that's found in Jesus. It's in order to save us from thinking wrongly which Satan wants us to. So if it, you know, God has given us the mind of Christ. Think about how you used to think about things apart from God. And think about sometimes how we can wrongly think about God even as believers. Maybe because we don't know the word of God, we don't know the truth, and we don't have the belt of truth on to even know. You know, it'd be great if, if it was just all by osmosis and everybody would know the truth and everybody would be obedient to the truth. But see, we're, we're individual. God created each and every one of us in his image. When he called you to salvation, he knows you by name. So you should know 
his truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and following says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Again, it's a spiritual battle. Verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Why? Because they don't work. This is a spiritual battle. But have divine power to destroy strongholds. Why? Because it's God's power. It's not your power. You don't wield the power. You are a uh, steward of that power. Exercising faith and trust in the power that belongs to God, a power that is divine in nature because it comes from God and is able to destroy strongholds. So if there are strongholds on the battlefield where our enemy is, you know, pulling his forces together for an assault, guess what? The helmet of salvation is there for the purpose of breaking apart those strongholds, destroying them. Verse 5 goes on to say, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. So every lie, every falsehood, every false teaching, every false teacher, the truth is waging war against. And finishes and says, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. See, that's why God gives us his mind to be able to see things as he sees them, to be able to engage and think rightly and not wrongly. And last, the sword of the Spirit. This is what keeps us secure because Satan is always on the offensive. And we know that as we think about the sword of the Spirit, it is the Word of God, the text tells us, which is the Word of God, because it is the truth. And the Spirit of truth will guide us in all truth, because we you know, weren't meant to just fight this battle on our own and be on the spiritual battlefield, ill-equipped and all alone. God has given us His Spirit that indwells us, the spirit who guides us in all truth, which is the word of God, a spirit which helps us to be able to, you know, see the truth, to embrace righteousness, to be at peace or calm in this spiritual battle, to be confident in our faith toward God, to have a right mind and to keep us secure. See, the word of God is the ultimate authority. It's our rule for faith and practice It is our modus operandi. Everything pertaining to life and godliness, as the scripture said. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ, our Savior, did when the tempter came and had the audacity to tempt the Son of God. Think about that for a minute. If he is bold enough to tempt Jesus Christ, the Son of God, do you think you're off limits? Absolutely not. That's why you need to know where you stand and make sure that you have the full armor of God on because that's the thing that's going to protect you because really what that is is God himself. He is the one who goes before you in battle. What is our posture? Verse 11, stand. Verse 13, to withstand or stand against and to stand firm. Verse 14, to stand. See, what are we standing in? We're standing in the victory that Jesus has already won. And that's what gives you 
every aspect of the armor of God and to see the importance of it and to know that, hey, I should not get up any day and not put on the full armor of God because I know my enemy because God has told me what he's like. I've experienced what he's like. And what Paul does is he wraps all of this together in, in verses 18, 19, and 20 as he, he prays for, for heavenly intervention. Notice there it says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Did you catch it? Just like we're supposed to stand, withstand, stand firm, and stand for things that we're supposed to do in the power and might of Almighty God, we are to be praying, prayer, supplication, and supplication. Four things that we're supposed to do is to remind us to go to God in prayer. We do not pray enough. Prayer meeting on Wednesday night is poorly attended. And if that's any litmus test in relation to how much we value prayer. And I'm not saying you can't pray wherever you are. That is true. But there is something about being part of a body and realizing that we come together to pray because we are all allies in this spiritual battle. Sometimes Satan is attacking me. Sometimes he's attacking you. But the thing that does not change is who God is and the fact that we need to be men and women and children of prayer. William Cowper said, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. Did you know that you can make Satan tremble? Why does he tremble when the weakest saint is on his knees? Because that saint realizes that there is power in Almighty God. And if he stands in God and has the full armor of God on and is praying to God saying, God, help me too that there is nothing that Satan can do because he has already lost. God has won the victory. Notice what he prays for in the text. He prays for alertness and perseverance. In other words, you're on the spiritual battlefield. Don't pretend like you're not. Don't be looking at your phone when you should be looking all around you. Yeah, the phone is great, but that doesn't change the fact that you're standing on a battlefield. Be alert. Persevere. In other words, when you wake up tomorrow morning and you are just run down because you know there are five different things that are pulling you, that there are attacks coming from Behind you, there are things coming that you're not even aware of because those flaming darts are in the air ready to hit you and the earth around you. See, the thing is, the prayer for alertness and perseverance is because sin makes us think, say, and do stupid things. And yes, I said stupid. But that's exactly what happens when we are not living in light of the truth. And notice that he says a prayer for all the saints. We are allies in this spiritual battle. 
You are not meant to be alone. And even if you do find yourself separated off because you are standing in the truth of the word of God and other people are compromising in relation to the truth, remember, God still has you if you're standing in him and have the full armor of God. But as we sit here and we, we think about this spiritual battle, we need to understand is that there's days where I'm wearing my total armor and I'm standing right where I need to stand. And with all six foot four on myself, I, I stand out and stand head and shoulders above the rest. So that maybe you look at me and then you'll look at God and say, Pastor Bill has a strong faith. He knows in whom he believes. So that it encourages you to do the same, to not give up or give in. And notice also what Paul says. He says, a prayer for clarity and courage to proclaim the mystery of the gospel as I ought to. Paul is not the only one who's supposed to proclaim the gospel. He is not the only one who should be asking for prayer and for clarity uh, and boldness to do so. I said this in the early service, and I've said this multiple times before, but if God truly wanted us to be able to, without hindrance, worship him and, and enjoy being in his presence forever, we would be in heaven right now. But the fact is, is we're right here on earth. Right now, we are in the physical realm. So that means that there is a reason why we're here. And the reason why we're here is because we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ, because there is other people on this battlefield that need Jesus Christ. And so if that's the case, since you and I are, are you know, this side, you know, of the, of the daisies, that means we have a responsibility. And that is to proclaim Jesus Christ, to pray like Paul, Father, give me clarity, give me courage. See, the gospel doesn't change. The gospel is the same yesterday, today, and forever because there's only one way of salvation, and that's Jesus Christ. And we are the ones that God has commissioned to be ambassadors. So if we're still here, that's what we should be praying for. To have boldness in what Christ has accomplished, as it tells us in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Victory in Jesus. Don't forget that. So how should this inform our lives today? If it hasn't been informative already, right? I'm talking to every believer here. Heed the words of 1 Peter chapter 5. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, not someone else, he himself, will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen.
And to every non-believer here this morning, you're on the wrong side. You're on the losing side because Jesus has already won the victory. So let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day that you exercise faith in Jesus Christ, God's Son, and in Him alone. Repent of your sins and trust in Him for salvation. Because there is a day coming. It's appointed unto men once to die and after that judgment. The world may not believe that, but that does not change the truth because God's truth is absolute and it need not change. Today is Communion Sunday, and as we think about the spiritual battle in which we face, it's important for us to make sure that we do not forget who Jesus is, which you're saying, well, Pastor Bill, I could never forget who Jesus is. But you know, our lives are so busy. Sometimes you can go through an entire morning, afternoon, evening, maybe an entire day, and be so busy about life that you forget about God altogether. And so this is what this meal is for, is for us to remember Christ, remember the sacrifice. And so let's take time to spend some time in prayers of confession, prayers of thanksgiving as we prepare our hearts and minds to receive this meal together this morning.